big day today, Apple special event, March 25th, 2019. And we like to take things from a developer's perspective. So when we cover all this different stuff, we're always thinking about it from our audience, which is developers. We got Apple News, we got Apple Pay, we got Apple Card, we got Apple Arcade, Apple TV, Apple TV Plus, lots of stuff to talk through. I think the biggest thing for me, Jerry, was just privacy was across all these things, aside from obviously Apple TV Plus, because hey, that's just content, but whatever. Yeah, well, Apple has been selling on big on the privacy front, security, privacy. And these are things they think consumers want. Uh, in my case, they're right. <laughs> I would I agree. about you. Yes. Uh, more, you know, today, more than ever, I think privacy is a big thing. And I think, who are we having a show with? We're talking about how we trade in our privacy for convenience all the time. But we're starting to see the, maybe it was the Bat Show with Brave and, and the basic attention token. Talking about how people are starting to really value privacy more than they did maybe three to five years ago, just because of all of the leaks and all of the shady tactics of large tech corporations around the world. Mm-hmm. People are starting to value privacy more than they used to. And Apple's well positioned to provide privacy because at the end of the day, well, now they're a services company, but for a long time, they've been trying to sell you hardware, not sell your data to other vendors. I think it's important too for them in particular to have this be a named thread across all these things because it sets a tone for other companies when they launch things to make that a feature. Like they've made privacy a feature basically, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that's really interesting because uh, like you had mentioned a couple of years ago, we didn't really have that much concern for it. I don't think because we truly had no concern, but because we assumed that these companies were for us and not against us. And in some ways they are for us because they want more engagement, but they're against us in the fact that they take what's ours, make it theirs and sell it and never include us in that, uh, that process or make us aware. Well, we're included, but it's buried down in the end user license agreement. And we are, you know, unbeknownst to us thinking we're getting free service. And, and as many of, as, as you and I both know, and as probably most of our listeners know, when you, when there's no price on the service, then you know you're not the customer. You are the, uh, you are product. the what the product. That's yeah, right. exactly. So these are things that we've been well aware of uh, for years now, and I think are are trickling down into the into the mainstream. And people who value their privacy tend to uh, be interested in what Apple has to offer because of the way their business model set up. They are well positioned, and so yeah, they as they move into services. They are very much stressing privacy and curation um, across all these. So Apple News and Apple News Plus, Apple Arcade today, Apple TV, Apple TV Plus, like you said. Let's talk about Apple News Plus because this this is something that, I don't know, do you read Apple News? Um, you, I used to, actually. News so I, a small story there, I used to, whenever I would... Um, you know, like anybody, whenever you're bored, you usually grab your phone, you grab, you know, a small handful of favorite apps, you know, Instagram, right. those are mine, Instagram, YouTube. I don't do much posting Instagram, but I do a lot of reading of it. So I still catch up with people, but just I'm a lurker. Yeah. Um, you know, so my swipe left used to be my kind of like finality of it. Like, let me catch up on some world news real fast. And news would be right there in that swipe left. And uh, so recently I watched a minimalism video from a, a guy on YouTube named Matt Diavella. And uh, shout out to Matt if he's listening. If you're a listener, that's awesome. But 
he was like, here's how you make your phone not distract you, basically. So at his advice, I took that and removed that and other things from your swipe left. And so long story short, I used to. Now, the big difference now from the previous Apple news, long story short, I used to. Uh, I like how you like to give the, you like to give the long story and then you give the TLDR. That's the right. End. You could have yeah. just started there and well, we would have saved a few minutes, but I wouldn't have that context. So I do appreciate that. Uh, but they've I mean, the big news is they're adding magazines and a subscription, right? So uh, they're bringing the magazine back. And I wonder, and it's over 300 magazines, the guy actually slipped up in the presentation, said 3,000. So I was like, whoa. And then he's like, hold on, it's only 300. That was kind of a, one of the funnier moments of this particular presentation. Mm-hmm. Um, but a $9.99, uh, $9.99 a month. Oh, gosh, now I just did it. There you go. 3,000 magazines for 99 bucks a month. No, 300 magazines currently for $9.99 per month. Apple News Plus. All of the things you kind of expect from a magazine. I think somebody in our Slack community was saying it's kind of like the old newsstand merged into Apple News. Um, but they got a lot of magazines there. All the ones you'd think of. Wall Street Journal, which is a thing you'd subscribe to you know, on its own. LA Times. So there's newspapers, which has its own separate subscription. It's all bundled in. I saw Wired in there. You know, all of the, you know, the Vanity Fair, the Time Magazine, New York, uh, the New Yorker, etc., Pretty much the magazines you'd expect are there, but is this exciting? Is this something where it's like, oh, finally I can read magazines on my phone? I don't know. I feel like I feel like I'm over magazines. I feel like the only time I care about a magazine is when I'm sitting in the waiting room of a doctor's office or something. So I, I thought about that, and I thought something similar aside from the doctor's office, but you know, I think what we miss is is uh, is we're just fed news, right? So news typically follows the crowd so news happens on twitter news happens on facebook and what they're actually calling us to do by doing this is say okay take a step away from those things and get immersed in stories not just simply news and so Mm -hmm. i think if we can get the wall street journal and the la times or even like the verge piece they did uh on the people that do all of the monitoring for facebook that kind of big expose kind of thing i think if we're seeing this as a platform for those kind of magazines that do that then what you can do is really just take a step away from what I would consider maybe distraction media and, you know, kind of move it towards attention media where it requires you to truly, you know, disable other things and focus on this and read a 15 or 20 minute, you know, multimedia kind of experience. I think that's kind of interesting. I don't see it being very mainstream. I think it's uh, particularly positioned towards a, iPad users because of the screen is bigger, but exactly. I mean, I wasn't when they led with that. I was like, really? It's cool, yeah. but really. So a couple of, of things there. I think maybe on the the production or the business side, as well as a little bit on the developer side. So I I do wonder how, as a creator, like if you think you're working for Wired Magazine, how the actual production of these magazine assets that get shipped into the news app work. And if they're going to be very similar to whatever the spread that you would do for the magazine itself, like the layout there and the artwork and all that, obviously they have more stuff because it's digital. And the part that you liked was the live covers mm-hmm. where they kind of have these parallax effect. There's video integration. It's kind of this idea of rich media experience, which Apple has been kind of 
promoting for years now, even with the iBooks author mm-hmm. and with their iBooks. And none of it's really, I don't know, it hasn't been like a huge hit. I think it's, it's solid. I know there's lots of people who uh, have complained about how it's difficult to produce good iBooks using the iBooks authoring tooling and all that. I just wonder how that works you know, with Apple News magazines for the people who are putting those things together. And then also how Apple's going about the personalization and the curation because because of the privacy thing, they're saying, hey, we don't know what you're reading. We don't let advertisers track anything uh, in Apple News. Um, but it is personalized and it is curated, you know, based on your likes. So how do they accomplish that? And it sounds like that on-device machine learning where everything is localized, it never hits their servers, um, which they've they started doing, I think, iOS 11, or at least promoting it back then. And it seems like it's working. It seems like they're, at, you know, the, the question was, you know, Google's fashion of of personalization, which is, Ship everything off to Google servers. That's where the best machine learning can happen because they know the, the most about you. Ship the answers back versus Apple's style. The question was, can Apple actually deliver quality curation with on-device only machine learning versus having this you know, huge amount of knowledge about you? I would say so far, it seems like they're doing a pretty good job of it. What makes you think that? Like, What makes you think they're doing a good job? Is it because you, have, you, you see it personally? Yes, I mean, I use Apple News app on my phone. Um, And I'm generally pretty happy with the stuff that they feed me. Um, I don't always read it all, but I, I, you know, maybe five years ago, you'd have these recommendations, especially like Netflix recommendations before the algorithms get real good, where it's like, why are you, you know, why do you think I would like this? Um, And that's usually the moment where you notice the recommendation engine, you know, is when it fails. But when it doesn't fail, you don't really notice it. You're just like, oh, this looks nice. And I, I would say Apple News has pretty much done a good job of recommending things that I would be interested in reading based on whatever they're currently using, the stuff I've read before. Well, it says they don't know, how, they don't know what I read. I guess it's just stored on my phone, what I read. So yeah, just from personal experience, it just seems like it's, it's working pretty well. But maybe the mileage may vary. The interesting thing there, I think, is this sort of edge device privacy thread that's across all of these things. You know, Apple Pay, Apple Card, Apple News Plus, you know, these are all sort of on-device machine learning plus, as you mentioned, this curation yeah. based upon your, your previous thing. This seems to be, you know, as you mentioned, Google sort of following in Apple's footsteps with some of this stuff as well. But, I mean, it's, it's all a part back to this more powerful chip. What was it? The... What was on the new iPhone that was this like enclave thing? What's that again? There's a secure enclave. The there was actually a a chip with well, not TensorFlow or maybe just TensorFlow. Well, the TPU. No, that's Google's thing. Uh, M12. I don't know. I can't remember <laughs> what it's called. Uh, Apple's. They had like an actual machine learning named chip on device. Yeah. But I can't remember what it's called. Well, I think they have the, this notion of the secure enclave, which is where it stores the, you know, your face ID, your touch ID, things like that about right. you. So all of your secure stuff, that power with like this on-device machine learning. I-12 Bionic. A-12 Bionic. Yeah. I found it. The smartest, most powerful chip in a smartphone. Um, it has a built-in neural engine, et cetera, et cetera, all on chip. And it's really focused on 
those particular CPU heavy tasks. Yeah. I mean, I think, so this is interesting about Apple is that they want to be a privacy focused company, right? As a brand, but that's mm -hmm. that it requires in their case, the way they deliver products, particular hardware. And in this case, technological breakthroughs, you know, in this kind of device to have that many chips and that much, you know, I guess smarts behind a smartphone without this technology advancement, they couldn't be. I'm sure they could be, but they would just be a little further behind the company they want to be, you know? So on the iPhone, on the iPad, those are all features there. Now, what I didn't hear was how that affects Apple TV. Cause I'm not sure what the Apple TV has for machine learning or um, yeah. this other stuff. So, I mean, it wasn't a case played there, but they mentioned it for the Apple arcade where, Hey, I just wrote privacy again in my notes. Cause I was like, Hey, this is like the third time we're hearing about privacy third new thing third time they mentioned privacy as a feature mm -hmm. you know you're just seeing this marriage of a company's desire and it requires hard work requires technology advancements it requires you know, a particular uh, perspective when it comes to respecting your customer too absolutely let's let's put a bow on the apple news plus discussion with saying a little bit more uh, well we got some answers here but there's some open questions especially on the production side, is this good or bad for journalists, for newspapers, for magazine companies on the long run? We're not sure. Um, there's been talk that maybe Apple was forcing a 50% take. Uh, it's a $10 a month subscription, and it's going to divvy out based on um, how much time you're spent reading these particular publications. You know, who gets what kind of money? Is this going to work out well? Is it going to save journalism? Is it going to squash journalism? You know, we've seen this before with Facebook and instant articles a couple of years back. That ended up being kind of a deal with the devil, uh, so to speak, from a publisher's perspective, because uh, it was not a thing that saved journalism. Um, and many, many publishers, I think, have regretted getting involved, but everyone's on board here. So uh, that's left to be seen. I don't know. I don't know how it's going to play out. The question is, I guess, from the consumer side, 10 bucks. Apple News Plus, 300 magazines. Are you going to subscribe to this? Is he going to add this to your bundle? Well, I will say I would if I was an iPad user. Okay. I don't think I'll probably do it on the phone. I just don't see it. I, I, I could be swayed. They're going to need me a month yeah. free, which is great. So right. I could be swayed during those first 30 days. But at this point, I'm saying, you know, I, I don't think so. Yeah. One, one cool note about it, and they've had this across a couple of these announcements, is no extra charge shared with family sharing, which is kind of cool. So, yeah, you know, super cool. you and your, yeah. Um, I'm an Apple music subscriber for 10 bucks a month, but then to add Rachel and the kids to have access to that, I had to go to, you know, it's five extra bucks. So I pay 15 to get the family on board. So hopefully that's a, a shift and, and that'll eventually get removed from Apple music as well, because you know, it's just a, it just feels like they're nickel and diamond. You know, when it's like, Hey, I'm already subscribing to this thing here. Give us another five bucks to get, Right. access to everybody it's like come on i think it'd be different too if i was actually reading these magazines or have read them you know subscription wise in the yeah. past I here's why it, here's why it might get me i'm not excited about the magazines i don't think i would really read them i do like to flip through a magazine every once in a while i do like to but i read their websites i like the wired.com for for example that being said i had almost considered subscribing to the wall street journal a few times this last maybe 18 months where they just 
um, I've been linked to them enough times where I'm like, man, maybe I should just subscribe to this because they'll have a lot of the synopsis, you know, and you can read the takeaways, but like the details are, you know, in, behind a paywall. And so I've almost subscribed to the Wall Street Journal. And if I get that for free as part of this, uh, you know, bundled into that uh, for 10 bucks, plus all the other stuff, plus it's an easy one click, add it to my subscriptions. Mm -hmm. I might give it a shot. Maybe. So Apple Pay, the big news with the new Apple Pay stuff is Apple Card. Uh, Apple Pay, they gave a bunch of stats, 10 billion transactions this year. So it seems like it's ga gaining adoption, 70% merchant penetration in the United States. Not quite as good, I don't believe, in Canada, but there's some places where it's, it integrates much better with the, their current infrastructure. It has even better than that penetration. But they're adding their own Apple Card, which is a, a uh, collaboration with Goldman Sachs on the back end. But this card is pretty compelling. Um, what do you think? Um, Apple Pay or the card? Apple Card, yeah. Now, the card's amazing. I mean, they actually have a physical version of it, too. So they, start out, they start out with software, which is pretty awesome in, in the fact that you can just literally go into the wallet app and apply right there. You don't have to wait for a card to get to you like any mm -hmm. other traditional credit card. And so they, they started out the demonstration kind of describing this software-based version of a card and how they're changing things. But then they turned it on the fact that, hey, well, there's sometimes that Apple Pay is not an option, and that's fine. I mean, they understand that, right? It's not going to be an option everywhere. So instead, they give you this, this physical card. It's a titanium card. There's no number. There's no signature. There's no CVV. There's no expiration date. It's literally just a card with an Apple logo on it. And I believe your name, is that what was on it? Yeah, it's like, it's like etched in titanium. Right. Kind of it's like I mean, classic Apple movie, right? right? I, I mean, I, I, want, I want... You want to, the card. I just want the card. <laughs> you don't I care about I still use you. physical cards, which is cool. I mean, I don't mind it. Yeah. Um, so that's my first thoughts on it. Like, the moment I can apply, I'm going to get one. Um, not the, the other side of this is MasterCard. And I was wondering, because, like, I don't know about you, Jerry, but I often get... Um, like my bank will send me an offer and it seems oh, awesome. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, it's a MasterCard. I'm like, wow, I'm not even going to get a MasterCard because, I mean, MasterCard isn't cool. Amex, <laughs> Visa, those are cool brands. Now, MasterCard is not a cool brand. You think Visa is a cool brand? I've never had that thought once in my life. Well, like Amex, I'd give you Discover maybe because they're kind of like more exclusive. You know, they have their own deals going on. But to me, Visa and MasterCard are just like the, the most interchangeable who cares? I have no allegiance to them whatsoever brands. Really? But yeah, Visa. What's the difference between a Visa and a MasterCard? There's well, zilch. I'll tell you. Okay. A Visa is everywhere you want to be. So it's a MasterCard. Anywhere that has takes Visa, they take MasterCard. I was tongue in cheek because that's their, <laughs> that's their tagline. But I Hold think on, I'm Googling Visa, MasterCard's right. tagline. They probably are more interchangeable. So I guess that basic question, then why did they choose Visa? You know, why was MasterCard their first choice or was it because MasterCard would bend to their will? Who knows? Who knows? This is the uh, inner machinations of large corporations and who knows how <laughs> certain deals go down and why. Um, you know, you can go back to the iPhone and say, well, why did it roll out on AT&T and not on Verizon back in the day? And the reason was because Verizon wouldn't bend and AT&T would. And yeah. so Steve Jobs got his way. Um, why is it MasterCard and not Visa? Who knows? I don't know. Maybe, maybe for that exact reason, maybe Visa wouldn't bend my MasterCard would. That being said, uh, you know, having, having an Apple card would be cool, but MasterCard, everyone's got one of those. 
maybe uh, something that everyone can really identify with is when you read your credit card statement and you're like, what the heck is that? Right. So they're using machine learning in their Apple maps to reduce the, you know, the obfuscation of their merchant names, which is like, Hey, this is literally the seven 11 on the corner versus, you know, whatever it might be. I just reloaded the event. That happened to me. Uh, And nobody got to hear that, but that happened to me too. Like I just left it open (laughs) and it replayed again after a bit. So your lag was about, I don't know, five or 10 minutes after me, which is kind of interesting. hilarious. But yeah, ma- uh, machine learning and maps to, to make, I guess, merchant names more readable in a statement is genius. That's a great idea. So I guess the idea there is I go to, you know, the quickie mart on the corner and I buy some milk and later on I'm looking at my statement and the quickie mart's owned by some other company or wh- whoever runs that transaction. I see like a bunch of gobbledygook. Plus like Mart Mart or, you know, some terrible thing. I'm like, what? Why did I spend five bucks at, a, at some random place? I don't even know what it is. But they're going to actually use. I don't I understand why the maps comes in. Machine learning plus maps. They definitely said that. But the but maps yeah. is the location part of it. So they're going to know where the, the, the transaction happened then? From Must. what I could tell based on one, it comes up in text. It says, you know, 7-Eleven. Yeah. So-and-so city, right? But then I believe you can click on it and it will show you not only the transaction information, but the location of where you spent the money at. That's a cool feature. That's a very cool feature. So a couple other features of the card, just for those who didn't you know, get to watch it, is it's fee-less, first of all. So no fees. I think that's a big seller. Um, it's integrated, of course, as only Apple can, tightly into the iPhone and Apple Pay. You can get set up in minutes. You can just like you know click through and apply. And it's just right there. You're accepted. Um, and then they'll do the cash back. So the cash back is, is 3%, 2%, 1%. Yeah. The way they're executing it is unique and and I think compelling 3% back. Uh, if you buy, when you buy stuff directly from Apple, 2% back anywhere that you use Apple pay and then 1% back when you fall back to the physical card. But the cool thing about it is that they do the cash back daily versus some sort of monthly or quarterly cash back. And so at the end of each day, they just, re- they just redeposit the cash right back into your Apple wallet. And like she said, too, in the presentation, that it's actually cash. I can give it to you. I can use it in other ways. I don't just have to. There's not a limitation with how I can use or you can use this cash back. I think that's like, I mean, it seems logical. And it actually is. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But leave, leave uh, it to Apple, though, to, to, to execute on the logical. I think that's. A, I think this will be a pretty big deal. I think a lot of people have this. One thing about the we're talking about the uniqueness or the cool factor is, you know, the iPhones always had a cool factor to it. One of the things about that people think is cool is a, a, a level of exclusivity or making them different. And uh, over time, the iPhone is so successful that. Everybody has one. I mean, everybody, I'm not meaning everybody globally, but like just the generic, it's, it's, it's not exclusive, it's mainstream. You know, and, and if, you don't, if you think it's not mainstream, just go to a public place and wait for marimba to play or just turn on marimba, you hmm. know, and play it and, and then watch everybody check their phones because they're thinking they're getting a phone call, you know? And so I wonder if the That's Apple right. card will have a similar effect where it's like, well, it's so easy to get. I just, I just open Apple Wallet and I, and I apply and I get my Apple card for free. Maybe it won't be so cool. What do you think? 
Well, I think the accessibility definitely is good credit, I would imagine. Yeah, right? that's true. That's so, one thing they didn't talk about. Like, how do they actually give the, the percentage, right? What's the interest rate? They didn't talk about any of that. It's just based on your credit, right? Yeah, they didn't say interest rate at all. So No, I think it's variable depending on the person's credit. That's what, the way they made it sound. Yeah. But no, they didn't say it at all. So they said it's going to be like lower than everybody else's, but... I, I think it will definitely, so depending upon the approval process, it's a lot of P's in that sentence that I just said there. Um, so depending upon the approval process, <laughs> say it twice, <laughs> so, yeah. you know, it, it would, as you said, the cool factor could be, you know, a line drawn of like, not so much just good credit, bad credit, because that's kind of how it is anyways. If you lay down an Amex, it usually says something about you that's not said if you just hand out a Discover card. So there's something that's said just based on the device or the thing you're using, just like an iPhone. If you're using right. an iPhone over something else, there's a certain cool factor. But as you mentioned, it's become more mainstream, so it's more common now. Mm -hmm. I think now the cool factor might be the latest iPhone. So if you have the latest iPhone, you, you remain cooler. And maybe that's the case with this uh, Apple card with titanium. Like, I guess you wouldn't know that you're using an Apple card Unless you're using the actual titanium card. That, that would be where the cool factor comes in. Because otherwise, you know, I don't know what card you use to go shop at the Quickie Mart, right? I, I don't right. care. But if I'm at dinner with you and you lay and down this titanium slap Apple card. Slap down my titanium Apple card, I'm like, yeah. dang, Jared. Like, <laughs> that card has you no in, number, man, wanna, no signature. Yeah. There's no CVV on the back. It's just... Which we, uh, which we joke about. That's actually pretty cool for security, though. You know, like, if you actually... if you. So the, as we said, the titanium card is just your name and the chip. That's all there is on it. Um, yeah. And so if somebody steals it or if you leave it at the, at the Quickie Mart or something, less chance of information leak. You know, the, the three-digit code isn't on the back, et cetera, et cetera. So there's no expiration date on it. So the, a person, a thief or a, you know, somebody who finds your card won't have all the information they'll need in order to use it. At a lot of places. Do you Anyways. know anything about the technology behind the security chip? Mm, I know that it was slow, and then uh, they're ma they're making it faster. <laughs> Meaning that, that uh, I mean, could you like, if you were smart enough with this, like if you were deep enough in the credit card theft hackerism, you know, uh -huh. could you get my card if you were skilled enough and you know extract information from the chip? I think you could. I don't. I don't think you could extract. I don't think you could extract all the information that is on the card, but I think you could. Uh, I mean, there has to be devices that can read the chip, right? right? That's that's what all these devices are, and so you would have your own hardware that would be able to read whatever the chip is there to display. Now I know there's like nonces and there's one-time use codes that happen with these transactions, so. I'm not sure exactly how much you could get off, if you could replay it, those kind of things. I know that they're way more secure than they used to be than the swipe, because the swipe was really just an obfuscated you know, number, basically. Yeah. Whereas these chips, there is a, a live communication back and forth on the payment network with unique one-time use strings and whatnot, um, which is why they were slow at first, because it's like, well, you're at a quickie mart with a dial-up connection to a thing, and it's got to go back and forth five times. Um, and they've started to make that process much faster. I don't know the technology behind it. 
but I'm pretty sure if you have hardware access to it plus your own, like you're a you're a cracker who has <laughs> means and you have your own hardware, mm-hmm. I think you could probably get at uh, whatever whatever information is necessary. I guess the good thing though is that it is just that one, you know, one thing on the card that. I guess aside from your name, so your name plus that chip is the only thing that sort of identifies this Apple card as different from yours and mine. Like the difference is the name and the chip, right? You know, not the CVV and the stripe on the back. And because right now your your common credit card has a stripe on the back, which has information on it. Then it also has, which is older technology, has the secure chip because you have to have two ways. And, you know, there's a transition period between old way to new way. And you've got all this other information, this CVV code and the name and the signature. I don't know about you, but I always wrote CID on the back of my cards. I never actually put my signature there. I used to do that as well, but nobody would actually ask me for my ID. So it just was dumb. Well, the, it just stopped. Sure, it's dumb, but it also means that your signature isn't on it. I don't sign it either. Okay. I've, never, I've never signed them. Really? Okay. It, seems, it seemed dumb. It's like, why would I put my signature on there? I don't know. The whole thing is is foolish because yeah. then they have you sign a thing that says you're paying for it, but like, do they match? What are you gonna are you gonna like, go well, match that against yeah. my the signature you have on you database? Have thing. Yeah. I mean, you could, people just put a squiggly there and it doesn't matter. So, well, I don't know about you, but when I actually sign for a credit card, I actually do. Well, I should tell everybody that. Tell everybody. <laughs> tell tell everybody that. What's your, one of the what's one your CVV? One unspoken thing so far was uh, I saw Kevin Ball. Uh, perk up whenever this was mentioned was the uh, transits being yes, a- accepting cool. Apple Pay. You know, so you'd mentioned how you'd just use Apple Pay for the first time recently. Yeah, yeah. you know, and I would IV. I would put you in the early adopter camp, right? I mean, or the early majority at least. Probably right? early majority, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, which is it's terrible. It's so many years later. I've been using Apple Pay for a while, and I think the reason why I don't anymore is because I. I don't know. I just don't know why. I, I literally don't know why I don't use it more. It's I'm not, not socially it's, conditioned to do so. Like I'm socially conditioned to reach for my wallet and grab a credit card and swipe it. I'm not socially conditioned to hold my phone up to a thing. And because it's not universal, I'm like, is it, you know, I don't want to ask somebody if they accept it. Cause then I feel like a, a D bag, you know, like, uh, I don't know. It just feels socially awkward. And then the cashier, sometimes like they don't like when I've tried it, it's like, they don't know what I'm doing. It's like, why are, you know, or they do, but they're looking at me. What I, do. I don't know. It just feels weird because it's not the way everybody's doing it. So what you're so saying is it's not cool. No, it's not that it's not cool. It's that it's socially awkward at this point for me. Well, that's, just, that's not cool. <laughs> okay. Then it's not cool. <laughs> yeah. uh, it makes me feel less smooth than smoother. Like the, the whole point being, I'm trying to smooth out a process. That being said, when I do use it, which it's is easy. just a it is fast. Yeah. <laughs> and right. I think, oh, good thing I, I, good thing I crossed the social weirdness and tried this because, hey, it was a lot faster. So I, I think I would use it and I have used it, or I would say actually I do use it in places that make that process smooth. So, for example, when I go to Whole Foods, it's natural there because they are already asking me to get out my phone mm. to, uh, to scan my Prime membership to get my discount, right? So I've already got mm. my phone out so that to, to just take the next step and pay with Apple Pay is a no-brainer. Have you ever used the watch? I haven't used the watch yet. See, okay. again, with the watch, I feel like it would be not cool because I'm not sure how to do it with the watch. 
and I'd be fumbling around. I think you're supposed to hold the dial in, the uh, crown. Yeah, I'm not 100% yeah. positive, <laughs> you know? And so it's just like, you know what I do know how to do is get a credit card out of my wallet and swipe it through a thing. So I'll That's just right. keep doing what I know. But it is cool as being added to transit, especially if you're trying to get onto the subway real fast and, you know, and you just got your watch on and it's not like someone standing there watching you. It's socially awkward. It's just like faster and easier. What's cool too is Portland and uh, Chicago, New York City, these are the places they're launching in in the U.S. These are all cities that that, that their inner cities totally rely upon, you know, public transit like that. So you've got lots of people probably wasting lots of time recharging, charging, getting new cards. I mean, I remember when I went to Seattle. um, Yeah, when we went to Seattle that time, like we spent so much time in line to get a one-time use card to take the metro, uh-huh. whatever it was. And like, we'd probably spent 25 minutes in line with our son who was like, needed a nap. You know, we were traveling parents basically. It was terrible. Uh-huh. You know, in a world where you've got Apple pay, you've already got the necessary thing. You just swipe and you're moving along. We would have been, you know, if that was a thing there, we would have been on our way. We li- literally stood in line for like 25 minutes to get a one-time use card. It costs us like four bucks to do the travel. It was just terrible. You almost sound like the movie theater guy there. In a world where in you a, have Apple Pay. That's right. Let's talk Apple Arcade. This to me Ooh. was, for me, the most exciting part of this event and the coolest thing talked about. And the one that left the most question marks because coming this fall, no pricing info. Come on, y'all. Tell us what's going on here. But uh, a subscription gaming service for iPhone iPad, Apple TV, etc. Uh, synchronized across that. And it's specifically for the indie game devs who have been making amazing games for iOS and haven't been making amazing money for iOS because the ones who make all the big money are the free-to-play dingya for in-app purchases over and over and over again games. Not the ones that are like truly great games. And so Apple has come out and said, we are, we are backing the development. So they're actually partnering with specific small game developers. They're, they're financially backing the development of these games. They all come as part of a subscription package. It's called Apple Arcade. And it looks like it's going to be really good. I'm mm. pretty excited. That one, I can't recall the name. I was trying to write the names down and watch at the same time. But uh, the Japanese name, I believe it was Japanese. Where they actually take they they build live sets, real sets for the games. They take photographs and they do three D art over yeah. top of real photos. Like that to me is the kind of thing that I can see Apple backing. And for once, the kind of game I want to play where there's so much richness in how the game is developed, not just the gameplay. You know, to go to that kind of length as an artist, exactly to think through that and to just use these small world sets. Like that's just to me is like super awesome. And that's what really sets these games apart is their their art. And you know, previously, you know, for a little while, you could make a good living on the App Store making an amazing game like Monument uh, is it Monument Valley? I'm just losing uh, I'm losing words. That's one of the ones they recommend or yeah, Monument in their list. Although I feel like I've got the title slightly wrong, but um, Monument Valley is right. I got Stardew Valley in my head because that's a game on Nintendo Switch. Um, or Alto's Adventure, games like these. But it's just gotten harder and harder with so many. They said 300,000 games in the App Store. Mm. And 
so much riskier, right? Like pretty much coming out with an awesome game, putting two years of your life into it and charging four ninety nine on the app store. Like that worked back in 2010 and 2011, but it just doesn't work anymore. There's way too much risk. And so these are like starving artists, the people who continue to invest in the platform and do these amazing games. So it's really cool that Apple's taking the risk, you know, off of the developers. And hopefully they're financing them up front as they work on these things. And uh, I think it's going to really leave a, I don't know if a legacy is the right word, but it's going to produce a lot of these awesome games. And I'm super excited for that. Also playable Oof. offline too, which is, you know, kind of getting into the, some of the features part of it. No ads, right. no other purchases required, as you mentioned. Playable offline. So this sort of, you don't have to be connected to the internet to play. That assumes, I assume you can do that. It's like airplane mode too. So, hey, I'm in airplane mode. I can't play this game because it requires some sort of communication. Uh, privacy, again, was in the feature set where, you know, they're not, I don't know what they said about that. I just wrote it down. I'm like, that's amazing. Uh, I guess they're not watching what games you're playing. I don't know. What, what, what do they say around privacy? Yeah, basically, everything's on device. You know, they're not saying anything back up. There's no ads. There's no tracking. There's no in-app purchases. Family sharing again. That's amazing. I mean, yeah. The only one, problem is like, what's this going to cost, and when's it going to be available? They're going to launch with a hundred plus new and exclusive games. So it's interesting timing here because Google just announced their game subscription Stadia. Stadia, yeah. Uh, service, which is somewhat a, like a, a merge between a Twitch competitor and a Steam competitor. Interesting stuff going on there, but everybody trying to get into the games market. It seems like Apple has mostly ignored it and just kind of let it be on iOS and now really embracing it. I hope they come up with an actual controller for the Apple TV because then yeah. games would be cool on Apple TV, but no pricing. Well, so, I think you know, it's really it interesting cost? what you mentioned there because the controller, the, you know, the game platform to compete with is Nintendo Switch in terms yeah. of like how you know, mobile it is. And what they've said in this experience was that you can play a game on your Mac, stop playing on your Mac and go to your iPhone or, or to your iPad or whatever and pick up right where you left off. So it's very, very much like what the switch is trying to do, except for they're missing, as you mentioned, that hardware, which is the third part or the, the first party controller. And if they, I don't know if there's any patents around the way the switch works, but if they can essentially replicate what the switch does, with an iPhone and let that be the platform. I think that'd be pretty cool. I don't know. You got to imagine there's plenty of patents around it, but, uh, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. (coughs) One thing they did say though, was a miracle for game developers. And that's what the, the Japanese fellow who was doing the, one of the developers said that, right? Right. It wasn't like Apple called it a miracle for game developers. It was an actual developer, game developer that right. said that. Yeah. Because they're in a market where they have to compete with free. Exactly. And as you mentioned, pouring so much into a game, they can't not charge something for it because they have to have some sort of guarantee that they'll succeed. And their pricing model is also based upon, you know, how many they think they can sell. And so all of those economics really, you know, you know, they hinder these indie developers. Well, they absolutely do. And as, as a, a person who enjoys these games and goes on the app store and looks at games and has the means to buy a $3 game, a $5 game, heck, a $10 game, and pretty much, you know, whenever I wanted to, I could do that. Financially, I wouldn't miss my rent or my mortgage. 
I still don't really buy that many games for the phone because it's just there's no try before you buy. There, even though it looks great and the reviews are great, I don't love just sit there and reading reviews and find you know. And then you just kind of pay that four bucks before you know if you're really gonna love it, you know. So even a person who who is a consumer of these kinds of things, I don't buy very many of them. Maybe one or two a year, and I'd love to play more games on my phone. But if I had a, a subscription that was just always on and just auto-billed me every month, I wouldn't think about it twice, and I had complete access to all these games. Well, I think they're going to not only make more money as game developers, they're also going to be having, I believe, more people playing their games than are now, which ultimately, as an artist, that's what you want, right? Like people right. benefiting from your work. Well, what I see happening here is, is Apple now developing services you know, subscription services around marketplaces, right? That's what they did with news as a marketplace yeah. for lack of better terms for, you know, distributing and, and consuming news. Now they uh, layered on a subscription to it. Same thing with arcade. Uh, arcade is essentially a subscription service layered on top of the existing app store, which was, mm-hmm. you know, a marketplace. Same thing with Apple TV is happening there. So I think that's an interesting business model to, you know, to sort of establish a platform, a marketplace and then find ways to curate the best of the best. And then in, in this case in particular, potentially back the best or back the best like they're doing here. And mm-hmm. we haven't really talked about Apple TV Plus yet, but that's the same thing that they're doing there is now they're literally throwing lots of money into, the, into this. And I think one piece that hasn't been underscored enough is exclusive. It's what they said about Apple Arcade. Right. These are games you can't play anywhere else. These are, this is content on the future Apple TV Plus um, that you can't watch anywhere else. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I start to think about these things. We see Amazon making similar moves. Google, all of the big tech companies are making these moves. And a lot of these moves are anti-competitive uh, in many ways. You, you create a marketplace, and then you wait and watch what's successful. And then you create a service around successful things in that marketplace. Um, that's kind of shady, in my opinion, and I think probably in the opinion of legislators as as things continue to advance so not all you know sunshine and rainbows that being said it it is consumer friendly (laughs) you know it's not great for business competition but uh it is consumer friendly at least in the short term same thing with a lot of the moves that amazon makes um so just wanted to throw that in there but i do think the exclusives uh are really what they're they're going after and with apple tv plus this was probably like the second half of the event was basically them strutting out, you know, Hollywood star after Hollywood star who are on board partnering with Apple to make exclusive content for Apple TV plus, which is another subscription coming this fall, which I believe they also did not announce any pricing around. Yeah, I didn't see any pricing around it, but uh, you know, they, they say it's, it's more entertainment. Or sorry, it's it's more than entertainment. It's cultural. That was what Tim Cook said about Apple TV, uh, Apple TV Plus in particular. I think it was pretty interesting the fact that, like in traditional fashion, they didn't just say like, "Hey, here's you know not so and so from within Apple," but not that that's a bad thing, but like here's legit stars from this world of Hollywood that have that have and are investing. Spielberg was the first person out. Mm-hmm. That's pretty amazing. Reese Witherspoon, uh, Jennifer Aniston, Steve Carell, they came out. And he, I love the way he was even self-deprecating in his 
humor too. It's pretty cool. Just the, the way they even came out and very similar to Saturday Night Live or something like that, where they were just sort of themselves in their character. What's funny is I heard the, I heard the shtick for the, or the, like the, the description of the morning show, which that's the show those three are doing on Apple TV plus. Mm-hmm. I just heard the description a few weeks back and I was like, Meh, okay. But then I saw Steve Carell and the two of them on stage, Reese Witherspoon and Jennifer Aniston. And I thought I, I want to watch this show. This is a show that I actually do want to watch. So I think it was for me, at least it was effective uh, as an advertising platform for what these exclusive cultural things are. Yeah. It looks like some pretty decent shows that they're putting together. The uh, the morning show reminded me of Newsroom, which was on HBO. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andrew uh, Sorkin, I believe, is his name. Um, I can't. I don't know if that's his name or not. Sorkin yeah. is for sure his last name. Yeah, Amazing writer, yeah. phenomenal with dialogue. I mean, just a phenomenal uh, writer. Aaron. Aaron. Yeah, that's right. Aaron Sorkin. Aaron yeah. Sorkin. Sorry. 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 I knew it was Sorkin though. I mean, that and that show yep. was amazing. So if not that this has to be a repeat of that, but I was sad that it was just a three season show. Like I wanted more badly. I, like I would have punched the wall for more or something. Like that. It's, <laughs> it's, I wanted it bad. I do. I did enjoy that show. I like Aaron Sorkin quite a bit. I have a feeling this one will be like, I think if because of the way I think Steve Carell was kind of in character there, I think it's going to be that with a little more of a comedic bent, like maybe like merge Anchorman? newsroom. Well, maybe not uh, that no, far, not huh? not that far. I would say like if you merge the office with newsroom, and you got the morning show. Okay, because Jennifer Aniston, she can be very. I mean, on Friends, she's very oh, funny yes. as well. I'm not Reese Witherspoon's done a little bit of comedy, so I think there's going to be more lightheartedness. Newsroom was was very serious, serious most of the time, but very serious. Yeah, it's. I hope it's good. I think it might be. The funniest side too is Steve Carell was in Anchorman. That's right. I love Lamp. <laughs> I love Lamp. <laughs> Didn't I just say that to you last week at some point? Yeah, it was it was a good one. It was a yep. good one. Yep. I mean, and then they 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 rounded it all off with Oprah, right? You the start end. with Spielberg, you end with Oprah. That's right. I mean, that's a pretty solid lineup at that point, right? So I, I don't know what, really what to place this as. Is this a Netflix competitor, or is it original content? Competing? I would, I would I'm almost say it's confused. more like a. I would think of it more like an HBO competitor. Okay, that, that's a good point. Yeah, because because Netflix does have, I mean, it's the similar what would you, production value of a Netflix original, but Netflix is just going so much for breadth, you know, like the shotgun approach. They're spending way more money than everybody else. They have so many shows. I mean, not if if you pay close attention now, most of the stuff in my Netflix list is Netflix originals, and it's like every single you know, niche they're going to dive into and they're going to actually fund production. Mm-hmm. Whereas HBO is more, is more like we're going to pick a few that we're, we think everything we're going to do is a hit. We're going to put a lot of money behind them, but it's like more selective, less breadth. And that seems like what Apple's doing, kind of like picking one show in each category versus just, you know, replacing all your t- television channels like Netflix is. So obviously developers watch TV, right? So how do we run this back to developers? This one in particular. I mean, this seems the most furthest away from. I mean, I watch a movie. You know, there you go. That's it. <laughs> Do not subscribe to this, or you won't have any time to write code. You'll just be watching Oprah and Steve Carell and these awesome shows all day. You can't. You can't develop anything. No, you write. I don't know. 
not much there uh, for uh, I mean one one so you could you could split up the Apple TV announcements into what we just talked about, which is the content Apple TV Plus, and there's also the Apple TV software. And so uh, on that side, uh, we see a few things going on. Um, remember, there's the Apple TV itself, the product, right, the hardware, which has its Apple was it Apple or TV OS? So there's the OS on which apps run. Then there's the Apple TV app that runs on that OS. Well, that's confusing. And that's really where all of the, the announcements in software happened today was in the Apple TV app itself. And they're really remaking it in a certain degree, stealing a lot of ideas from Netflix, by the way, with the skip intro and the, mm-hmm. the, the trailers right there uh, as you scroll, those kind of things. Um, and they're expanding it beyond the Apple TV hardware. So coming soon, the Apple TV app will be on your Roku. It'll be on your Samsung Smart TV. It'll be on your Amazon Fire TV stick, which is very interesting. So there's some software side there. I'm not sure there's moves that developers can consider uh, with regard to that, unless you're writing Apple TV apps. But I, I guess working for one of these. Yeah, exactly. Because I mean, one thing they're promising with the Apple TV app, and as you said, it is confusing because you got the hardware and then you got the app and then you got the actual OS, which whatever. But, you know, is there allowing you to, and you did mention in our notes here that Netflix, of course, was limited or not mentioned. All channels essentially you can jump from within this Apple TV app. You have control over all of your different subscriptions within this thing versus having to jump from app to app to app to right. enjoy this content, which I think is pretty cool. You know, the, the natural thing, too, here is that um, in order to launch this sort of Apple TV Plus move, it would only make sense for them to want to have the biggest and most widest distribution. So I'm, I'm really curious of the, of the behind-the-scenes conversations that happen with Samsung and, and Amazon in particular mm-hmm. because, I mean, and maybe even Roku because somehow they have to all play nice, and you're essentially letting the em- enemy you know, behind the gate to some degree. Like, I don't know. Is it a world where they can play nice together? I guess we'll see. Yeah. I we'll hope so. find out. Or yeah. is it more like Game of Thrones where everyone's going to end up dead at the end? Well, that's, you know, the problem with this world, I think, is that we get into the, yeah, everyone's up, is we get into this, everybody has to die in, <laughs> in order to succeed. You know, like there has to be somebody at the top of the mountain and everyone else has to be scurried along the hillsides dead. Right. To to have a world where it's, and I just don't think it's the case. I really, you know, you want competition and, yes. but you also want, you also want tact, I guess, in your approach towards it. You know, I don't have to kill you, Jared, to succeed. I don't think. Mm-hmm. Sure, hope not. Because if so, then we got problems, bro. Well, when you're talking about people's time and attention and you're talking about it at the scale that they are. Netflix wants all of your time and attention. Right. Apple is starting to want a slice of that. A- Amazon wants that. Facebook wants it. So the, they really are playing a zero-sum game across these different areas of our lives. And it doesn't seem like any of them are happy to only have your... You know, only We're here to provide your, the best mapping experience ever. And we're just happy being the best map. Or we're here to be the best... TV channel, or we're here to be the best 
operating system. It doesn't seem like any of the big players in our space are don't they don't have any tact. Like they're going <laughs> they're going for the zero sum we want it all. And mm-hmm. that's uh that's interesting to watch. I do think it's problematic on the long term, but it's uh it's interesting nonetheless. And yeah, I mean having the Apple TV app on an Amazon Fire TV stick, you can't help but think if I run app, if I want access to all my Apple stuff, but I don't want to spend two hundred bucks on the Apple TV, why wouldn't I spend twenty or thirty bucks on a Fire TV stick and just use the app? So it seems like in that regard, they're kind of shooting themselves in the foot on their hardware sales potentially. Well, I don't why think buy, so. Why I, buy the Apple TV anymore? Like well, just buy the Roku. I got two letters for you. Okay. Well, actually, two characters. Four K. Okay. That's why. Um, I don't know if if the Fire Stick TV. I don't know it well enough to know if it does. So I could that, that joke or that that uh, <laughs> statement could fall flat on its face. Somebody tell me if I'm wrong. But keep uh, keep talking. I'll tell you why you talk here. <laughs> well, and if it, so, I'll, I'll back that up with if it does do 4K, it does. I imagine that the Apple TV might do it better because of <laughs> of the uh, just the, the firepower behind the, the software and the hardware behind it because it takes a lot of megabits per second to. You know, it's a high resolution, you know, high frame rate, all that good stuff. Um, I would imagine it takes a lot of processing power. So, oh. the Amazon uh, Fire TV stick on their homepage says HDR, the most powerful 4K streaming stick. So, this is their forty nine ninety nine offering. So, you know, a quarter, one literally one quarter the price of the of the Apple TV. Um, surely that we can go to Tom's Hardware or The Verge or you know, these different websites and Get find out which yeah. one actually works best and which one actually gives you the best quality and whatnot. But I can't help but think that Apple is losing in regards to this category and moving their software onto the other devices seems like a, maybe a consolation that, they, that they're losing. Well, I think it's kind of a smart move because, I mean, I've got a Sony TV in my living room and it runs, uh, the operating system behind it is Android. And... Highly Google embedded into it, and but at the same time connected to that TV, I have an Apple TV. So I would, I would potentially opt for the app if the user experience was just as good and it was speedy and not laggy and that kind of stuff. Now the other thing with an Apple TV that we use a lot is, and this is so cool. I don't know that many people do this. Uh, and if you do, I want to hear about it because we would go out, we, we went to monster jam about three weeks back. We took our son there and I don't know if you know about monster jam. Do you know what that is? Is that a monster truck rally? It sure is uh, amazing. Guess. So, I mean, it's a lot of fun. You know, you got, you got grave digger and my son loves this oh, stuff. Yeah. So I mean, he's grave really digger always it. wins, right? Yes. And yeah. he's actually really good too. Mm-hmm. He's a really good driver. So, you know, you got these weird, parents who seem to want to record everything well i've learned that you know to record everything too except <laughs> to that be I'm not weird as well i can you know like take photos of my son it's more like i capture our experience and then i play it back and as you know you you've seen my media room upstairs so i airplay like that same night or the, the that weekend we'll go back and we'll relook at all of our photos and stuff and our videos that's where I think an Apple TV really shines because, mm-hmm. you know, you can easily stream from your iPhone, your photos, your videos, all that good stuff. Yeah, and AirPlay we, we is awesome. To, we get to spend, you know, the better part of an hour just re, 
sharing and re-enjoying those moments and getting deeper into it. Like we were on uh, the train at the zoo recently. I know this is going a little far, but this is super cool. I was like, I pulled out my phone, recorded it. So I know we had fun in the moment and it was too easy for me to stay engaged and be present. So I wasn't not engaged, not present because I was recording. I just held up my phone and got what we got. And when we got back to the house, I was like, dang, we can actually re-ride this train because I took the, the video of it, which is pretty cool. So how long was that video? Like 30 minutes? About two minutes, two and a half oh, minutes. Okay. It was a little zoo train, you know, nothing oh. major, just a quick lap around the zoo, maybe two and a half, three minutes. Gotcha. We got to see was- some city in downtown Houston, all that good stuff. So, you know, it's just like micro moments that you can capture and replay. That's why I think the Apple TV is a, is a winner to be able to, you know, cast stuff from my Apple devices, you know, even presentations like Heather does stuff at the house with, you know, oh, yeah. with uh, Bible studies and whatnot, or, you know, her oil uh, committees coming in and, and all that good stuff. We'll put the the presentation up on the TV and she walks through it super easy. Like I, mm-hmm. that's what I love about the Apple TVs that it gives you an ability to broadcast stuff. They're not just simply consuming content, but also, you know, kind of watching your own content. Let me uh, say two real quick things about this and we'll, we'll call it a conversation about the software specifically. So I, we mentioned that they seem to be taking, we'll just, we'll, we'll be gracious and say they're taking some cues from Netflix's user experience and they're building them into the central TV viewing experience in the Apple TV app. And so the, the big one is the skip intro button, which is, let's just face it, like the best button that Netflix has ever added uh, to their UI. So on the Apple TV right now, I don't know if you watch much Amazon Prime shows, but the Amazon Prime app on the Apple TV is not anywhere near as good as a Netflix app. And it's not as near as good as the Amazon Prime app on the iPhone, which is actually a pretty decent app. So the Amazon Prime app on the Apple TV does not have skip intro. So I guess my question, my assumption, and I'm not sure, but I think building this in at the Apple TV app level and then having all these channels of which Amazon Prime is just a channel, I can still watch my Marvelous Miss Maisel from the Apple TV app. Does that give me the skip intro button on other channels that previously wouldn't have had it? Mm. I I hope so. How do they get that done? Because you got to have some metadata to get that done. So that's a thought. I hope it does. That would make me very happy. <laughs> and then the, my last thought, talking about the Amazon Prime app, we're just software nerding out here for a yes. moment. Do you, have you ever watched Amazon Prime app on your phone? Uh, yeah. Do you, have you seen the x-ray feature? No. It is the coolest feature. So at any point, you're watching a, something on Amazon Prime, on, your, on the Amazon Prime app on your phone, if you just hold your, your thumb or whatever, your finger, on the screen, it will show you who's currently on screen. Like the actors playing the roles. Whoa. And it's, di- it's dynamic. It changes as they walk on and off camera. It's amazing. It's the coolest little thing. Because you never, like, you see somebody, you're like, hey, is that Burt Reynolds, you know? And you're like, I'm not sure. And you hit that. Sure is, like, Burt Reynolds. It, yeah. And it says who he's playing. Sometimes it'll play the, lo- it'll say the location where the scene was shot, stuff like that. So there's all this little extra information that they surface when you, when you turn on the x-ray. It's just a really neat feature. 
I don't know how they accomplish it actually, because it seems to be, it's got to be metadata on maybe like a, you know, second by second basis because it changes based on who's currently on camera. It's super cool. So check it out if you haven't yet. I wonder if it's a second pass on like a, just a point. Cause I mean, you do this, it's called tracking whenever you're doing stuff in like after effects or whatever, you can mark an object and attach text to it or an effect or, you know, whatever it, you can track a subject. So I would imagine similar to the way they do camera technology when you pull out your, even your iPhone, it's got facial, it can recognize the faces. And <clears throat> I would imagine there's probably some, like you said, metadata. Well, that's one thing I was thinking at first was maybe there's, you know, maybe there's metadata, but maybe there's facial recognition that's happening, you know, computer vision. When you pause it, it just scans the current image and matches them as oh, best so you have to as pause it, can. it to do that. Well, it's when they, well, when you do hold your finger over the screen, it stops the playback and shows you this overlay and then you let go and it comes mm. back, it starts again. So when you have the x-ray, yeah, it's like a modal. When you go into x-ray mode, it does pause playback and then you let go and it starts it again, which is what you'd want anyways, because you don't want to be missing stuff when you're reading about the location. Um, so that's why I thought maybe they're like actually doing a, you know, the current uh, screen and they're just really quickly applying computer vision to it. And then matching on what the metadata, maybe the the cast metadata with the, like their their face profiles is part of the file or something. I don't know. But then I started thinking, well, it actually even works when they're like not, you know, facing sideways or you know having a mask on or like things where this person's barely even in the screen. How is does it, it know this it, person's doesn't on screen? Doesn't matter which content it is. Meaning, like, uh, is it Amazon content or is it like? You know, third party Good content. Question. I haven't done. I think the one where I was really watching it was. Um, it's an Amazon show. Uh, that might be what, it then. What's the show? The one with the Nazis and the. Man in the High Castle. Yeah, the Man in the High Castle. So that's the one that I was watching where I noticed it. Um, and then Marvelous Miss Maisel, it also worked, but those are both Amazon properties. So it could be an Amazon thing, but yeah. I mean, because. Gosh, I really, uh, you got me curious now what the tech behind that might be if it's not the case. Like, if it is content at large and they're doing that, then I really want to know because if you can't see their face, how you, you know, how can you software wise recognize, you know, unless exactly. you know scene by scene or at least between takes, I don't know, like what characters are on the, on the scene. You know what I mean? Like, it's probably some layer of that data, but I, to have it, ubiquitous to offer that feature to everything would be yeah and it, it, it i should try it on a few different circumstances i bet it would be uh amazon only because i think there's probably necessary metadata but hey how about this if you do know how that works and you're listening to this That's or right. if you work at amazon in the prime area or know somebody we would love to have we would love to learn how these part this is a very cool thing and i mm -hmm. think if it is uh computer vision it's a very cool use case that uh, kind of surprised and delighted me when I did it because you trigger it by accident. You trigger it by like trying to pause the the scene, you know, and you're like, X-ray, what is this? So we would love to learn more about it and maybe bring somebody on the change log and just the, the technical details of how that gets pulled together. I think it's fascinating. What's a good takeaway for developers for this, uh, this announcement today? These announcements. Just wait till the fall. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Um, privacy is important and, uh, we should all have our own little platform that we can uh, monetize and <laughs> create services on. 
create marketplaces and then curate services on top of those marketplaces. Boom, go do that. Boom, go and do likewise.